This is your host, Vernon Terrell with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. Welcome back, and we're going to continue, in a sense, this discussion around um, trials and pain and suffering, and Tammy and I talked about grief and loss and uh, some of the ways that, uh, a little bit about our story and how we dealt with that, and today I'm joined uh, by, uh, I have Jimmy Sneed here with me in the office. Hello, Jimmy. Hi, Bernard. And uh, Jimmy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe even a little bit about your story as we dive into this, at least up until the um, point um, where we get into more of this idea of um, illness and pain. Okay. Uh, be kind of hard to condense my story since I'm about to... Uh Turned to 73. No. Uh, but. Uh, I got 60. I'm looking right at 60 in the eye right now. Oh, you're just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I kind of remember 60. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, so enjoy it because the 70s follow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was born in Virginia uh, to a Pentecostal family. And raised, of course, Pentecostal, extremely fundamentalist mm. and extremely legalistic. Mm. Uh, we were about the only thing we were taught about grace was John three sixteen. Mm. We knew that God loved sinners no matter what they had done, and that He gave His Son for those folk. Uh, but in their teaching, they didn't have a clue. Mm. about grace for the Christian because once you became a Christian it became all about performance God will love you if if you keep the teachings what was what was some of the legalism stuff that you had to deal uh, with? well the women could wear no jewelry mm. and originally they couldn't cut their hair and when I say jewelry I mean they couldn't even wear a wedding band wow uh, but somehow God changed his mind in the mid-60s and uh, <laughs> allowed the, the wedding band. Uh, we couldn't go to movies. Mm. Uh, we could not go to the county fair or mixed bathing, I guess. Yeah, I remember that term. I, I kept thinking <laughs> a long time. Well, generally, I bathed by myself. Generally, yeah. why they didn't choose mixed swimming, swimming, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. actually, that you know, they were stuck on that term, mixed bathing. They couldn't wear shorts. Uh, you know, I guess to sum it up. Basically, if it was fun, it was mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was worldly, uh, and it was sometimes it was very contradictory because my parents would uh, endeavor to give us as normal life as possible. So if we couldn't go to the fair, then they would find a carnival somewhere mm. and take us to the carnival. Because wow. technically, you know, the the fair was, was written down and the carnival wasn't. Wow, they found a loophole. Yeah, yeah. So we we found a lot of mixed messages. And, and really, they were a little more open than other families and 
would occasionally take us to the beach or something. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, was there a lot of Bible requirements that you had to do as well? Not the stuff you couldn't do, but stuff you were supposed to do. Uh, I think there was more emphasis on what you couldn't, couldn't do. Couldn't do. Mm, uh, I mean, Bible study was certainly emphasized, and I can remember, you know, getting my first Bible at nine years old. And that was my first year to go to church camp. And also, uh, it was the first time I was born again. And mm-hmm. It might seem strange for some people to hear the first time first you time. were born again. Mm-hmm. But if you are raised in a tradition that you can lose your salvation, you get born again a lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But that was my initial uh, introduction to really having a sense that God was in my life. Mm. And, you know, I truly think I was born again at that time. And, you know, it, it it was fun to be a Christian. It was fun to read the scriptures, to learn, to memorize. But the older I got, especially when I reached puberty, I became so aware of the sin mm. that was within. Not the outward, you know, going to the movies, mm-hmm. wearing shorts, those things, but the things that would go, you know, through an adolescent's mind. Absolutely. That you, you, you feel so corrupt if you've been raised in an environment where uh, impurity is emphasized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I walked around feeling like a hypocrite most of the time. And as I got older, through high school, I began to live a dual life. I was one thing at church, the model Christian, but among my high school friends, I was a partier and a drinker. Mm-hmm. And uh, But in the midst of that, when I was 15, I felt that I was called to the ministry. And after I had made that public, I began immediately to regret and to think, what have I said? What have I done? Because my parents, that was the be-all to end-all for wow. a Pentecostal family, that your son has been called into mm-hmm. the ministry. And so I continued to struggle and live a dual life and finally got caught, just drunk out of my mind when I was a senior in high school. And I had planned to go to Wake Forest uh, College, it's a university now, and had my roommate. Everything was set up. But my mom was so distraught to find out, you know, the life, the hypocritical life I had been living, that uh, she got me an application to our church school, Lee College in Cleveland, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I proceeded just, I didn't care anymore if I could just get away from home. Mm-hmm. And let me say, you know, I had a wonderful home. Like any home, there was it had its dysfunction. My parents were doing their best to to love me the best way they knew, and they provided a wonderful home, a wonderful environment. Uh, I never stopped going home until they both passed away by 2016. So it was a great environment, even though we had yeah. our dysfunction. Uh, but you know, so I go to Lee. And, of course, they're filled with all the church rules. 
but it doesn't take long to find the same type of people as yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have a way of a funny like how a, that happens. A magnet, mm-hmm. you know, just drawing you together. And so then we had our little clique that would, you know, continue to drink our beer party, and then many times on Sunday night in chapel we go down and repent because we were always filled with guilt and you know through my 20s I fulfilled my role as a minister either as an evangelist associate pastor or teacher in a Christian school but always frustrated and some of my uh, theological beliefs began to change as well as also the legalism had Mm -hmm. long since changed but when my theological beliefs began to uh, be different and what was mapped up. I had no forum, no one to talk to. If I mentioned a different view, let's say on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, tongues, something like that, uh, it was like they wrote uh, Ichabod over my head, the Lord has departed. Uh, So I couldn't talk about what I was going through. And in many ways, I avoided uh, ministry by doing ministry. That's what I mean when I, I would uh, teach school because it didn't require me to get in the pulpit mm-hmm. and to have to try to say things that I did not believe. And also I decided to get my graduate degree because I thought uh, maybe this will open a door that I could work in a, a Christian college or something like that. So I did that but remained frustrated and probably around the age of 30 or 29, I chucked it all. Mm. I turned in my license. Uh, I was living at home. I was in between teaching jobs. I'd just returned from Phoenix, Arizona. And I looked at my dad. I was driving a two-seater TR6, and he had this old station wagon. I said, Dad, if you will, uh, how about let me have your station wagon? I'll pay you for it, and you sell my sports car. And I moved to Atlanta because I had many friends and a sister who lived here, and everybody said, oh, this is the place for a single person. So for the next eight years of my life, I lived uh, about as wild as life as one could live with having nothing to do with church mm-hmm. or God. Uh, actually, I, at one point, I reached a stage where the only conversation I had with God was telling him that I hated him. Mm. And along the way, uh, I remember a Christian lady who heard my story, and I was doing work for her. I'd started my own painting business, and she was touched, you know, by the situation I was in. And she gave me a book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. I didn't think anything about it at the time, just, you know, shelved it somewhere. And... uh about eight years after I'd been into this lifestyle, some of my friends uh, began to be changed. These were people that I had uh, gotten drunk with, that I had partied with, that I had uh, purchased cocaine for. Uh, I was never a dealer, but I was someone, if I were getting cocaine, I would get enough. Grab an extra. For, yes, yes. And so they were very concerned because their lives had been so transformed and they knew my background, of course. So they kept begging me to go on this 
particular weekend. And for some reason, a friend of mine, his wife, uh, looked at me one evening. I'd gone over to see him about some business things. He wasn't at home. And uh, she, she looked at me. Her name was Sue, and she called me Jim. She said, Jim, I love you, and I'd really love to see you go on this weekend. And for some reason, Vernon, it, it resonated. Mm. It was like a voice that I hadn't heard in a long time somehow had crept back wow. into my mind. And so I said I would go, and two weeks later I was on a bus going out with these excited people on a weekend that I knew nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling totally uncomfortable. We were set up in tables of eight, and we would listen to talks, and then they would discuss. And they couldn't get me to say anything. I mean, I was just silent and feeling very uncomfortable. But at the same time, it seemed like there was a stranger who wasn't a stranger who uh, was sitting there with me mm. and, and nudging me along. And as the weekend went on, uh, and I listened to speakers, uh, one of the speakers got up. He was a very distinguished middle-aged man, uh, premature gray hair, very very handsome guy. And uh, I remember him early in his talk saying he was an OBGYN, and he said, uh, before I gave my life to Christ, I performed thousands mm. of abortions. Mm. And it was obvious that that he knew he was forgiven mm -hmm. because he could make that statement just like I could say, Wow. I, I want a Coca-Cola. Yep. And I mean, it pierced my heart, mm. my soul, my spirit. And in that instant, I knew that I was forgiven. Wow. Of all that I had done. And I mean, such a, you can imagine the mm -hmm. uh, freedom that I felt at that moment and throughout the rest of the weekend. And after the weekend, uh, I looked over and saw the book, The Normal Christian Life, and I read it vociferously. Mm. And I was just drinking in every word. It, it was just like learning a foreign language that I didn't know, but it was so important to get into my life. Mm. And... From that, I mean, I know the Lord was ordering my steps because I, not long after that, I went into a, a used bookstore, and there was this title uh, about grace. And so I, I thought, I didn't know anything about it, you know. So I read a few pages, and it seemed pretty interesting, and it was by Bob George. I love Bob George. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was one of his, you know, Yes. Early books. I'm sorry, I can't remember the Classic title. Classic Christianity, or it was either that one or something that had grace. Grace in it, in it yeah. But uh, so I mean, here it is, just falls in my lap, and so I read wow. this, and uh, you know, I was, I was on my way on the path of grace that I had never heard or seen 
before, and I'm just soaking this up mm. like uh, someone in the desert who's thirsty and couldn't couldn't find enough, couldn't learn enough. And uh, about I don't know how I found out about Grace Ministries International, but in 2001, my mother passed away in June. And you know, Vernon, when I think you've already been talking about this, when, when you lose someone who's so significant to mm-hmm. you, you you begin to think in a, in a different way. You think thoughts are brought to you that you have not dealt with before. And to lose my mom was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a huge blow in my life. And so I began to reevaluate where I was and the gifts that God had given me. And uh, I knew about a program in Grace Ministries that uh, offered you, I forget if it was eight or nine weeks, to come and, and, and study the exchange life. And I told Cheryl, I said, I've, I've got to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it takes. I've got to do this. So I joined uh, other eight other uh, people from all over the world, from different ethnicities, and we spend eight hours a day, plus two full weekends, just sharing our lives, our our best, our worst, and uh, you know, rubbing each other like iron on iron, or stone on stone, mm-hmm. or, or hugging one another. But we walk together, uh, and and God worked too all of our lives as a result of bringing us together. And I learned more of uh, the grace life. Uh, and it, you know, it was really life, life-changing. life mm-hmm. You know, you can think you know something about grace by reading, and you, and you do certainly mm-hmm. learn. And they're great authors. Uh, but when you share life, with a group of people, and you see one another's dirty laundry, and you live in this world of acceptance, mm-hmm. to know that you can sit there after, let's say, four weeks and trust is developed, and you can say whatever is going on within you, mm-hmm. and whatever you have done, and you can know these people accept me. I can remember. Period. Yes. Yes, no strings attached, just like grace. And I remember towards the end, one of the leaders asking, uh, what would you change if you could change yourself? And at that time, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And I said, I'll, I'll, I would stop smoking. And immediately, uh, a girl from Brazil across the room said, oh, I could tell her heart broke that that I even thought that this is what I needed to do to have a better relationship with God. So the first break we had, she smoked a cigarette with me. <laughs> oh, wow. And it, it, was, it was just another expression of, hey, you're okay mm-hmm. where you are. You know, just uh, accept your acceptance. I think it's Paul Tillich yeah. who said that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves if not I paraphrased it into that but there's nothing like knowing that you're accepted by God and it's certainly of such benefit when a person 
represents God to show you that acceptance in real time, in real life. It's one thing to get into your mind, uh, to spiritualize it, whatever, but it's another thing when somebody actually gives you that acceptance, mm. knowing knowing you right where you are. Right. And uh, it was uh, wow. this week. After that, I uh, started a, a nonprofit, uh, which didn't last too long because I'm not very good at raising money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a door had really been opened for me when I went through the Trace Diaz weekend. Mm-hmm. Because of my background, uh, the, the head spiritual director immediately asked me to participate actually on the next upcoming weekend, which was just wow. six months later. And so that was a real expression of God's love for me, yep. that after all that you've done, uh, I'm, I'm just putting you right back, you know, where you sh- should be. Yep. And so I've had uh, opportunity uh, since 1986 to, to work in that movement over and over again. And it's, uh, you know, another place where uh, there, you just see so much acceptance. And just I always go back to my own weekend, and I'm a very independent person, very difficult for me to ask for help. I'm uh, with you. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, but they had people serving you all the time. You you couldn't get yourself a Coke, a glass of water, or anything. And I was so touched at the end of the weekend to find out that the person who had been serving me all three days uh, was the CEO of that time of uh, Atlanta's largest bank. Wow. And that's you, just, you know. That's grace. Yes, yes. I mean, this is it, similar to, you know, Jesus at the Lord's Supper, him getting down on his knees and washing the mm-hmm. disciples' feet. And, I, I mean, you know, I'm not really caught up in people's positions or anything like that, but it was very touching. It's very touching when you know that people with status are willing to uh, lay that, that aside. status aside. Yes. You know? Very similarly to, the, you know, the Philippians' second uh, message where it talks about Christ being equal with God, thought mm-hmm. it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. You know, was made in the likeness of men mm. in order that he could uh, take our sin, that he could uh, show us that we are acceptable, that he could show us that there is a favor from God that mm-hmm. has absolutely no strings attached. That's hard for Christians to wrap their brains around, and more so for churches to wrap their brains around, uh, that there are no strings attached to grace. Well, you get there, and you've done, and you've got your business going, and um, life is moving forward. Things are good, but... Life hits you hard recently. Yes, it has. Uh, can you tell us about that a little bit? Uh, 
Well, you, you and I were talking earlier. Uh, I don't know if we were on that no. air or not, but you, I was saying I was about to turn 73. And being this independent, uh, I don't know, probably like to think of myself as a macho guy, <laughs> whatever, whatever that is. But, uh, you know. Don't was, mess with Jimmy, but keep going. I, I was a guy who was uh, – I will get it done. Yeah. You know, just get out of my way and uh, I'll get it done. You know, fooling with ladders, scaffolding, and, and you know, that I had always just been an extremely physical person. And then at 65, I had a shoulder surgery that started to slow me down. Mm. And, uh, but I, I bounced back from it and continued on. And I guess my late sixties, I had my first bout with ulcers, and was hospitalized, and got through that. And then another year passed, and I was back in the hospital again with ulcers again, and just you know beginning to realize you know you're you're not thirty mm. anymore. You. Uh, I still like the fact that I could grab a 32 or 36-foot ladder and carry it, you know, extended around the house and get on a roof. And I made the mistake the last time painting my house of uh, having Cheryl taking a picture and put it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, immediately my friends began to say, get down. You are so stupid. You are crazy. Get off that ladder. And, you know, to an extent, even though I had uh, done this all of my life and it was second nature to me, they were right, mm. you know, because you can fall. At, I don't care how skilled yeah. you are. And and 70-year-old bodies do not take uh, two-story falls like 25-year-old. Well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that was the beginning of uh, learning that I wasn't, so self-sufficient in mm -hmm. my physical life and uh, then almost a year ago it will be a year ago this coming September I found out that I had prostate cancer and at first it didn't sound that bad they said it looks like something we can mm -hmm. keep an aggressive eye on and you know and we can handle it that way so it seemed like okay I'll have prostate cancer but it's not going to be a big deal but then they investigated further and found out that it was a fast growing cancer mm -hmm. and that I said well okay I'll get radiation I know friends have got radiation well the next thing they told me was that your prostate is so enlarged that radiation won't work for you mm -hmm. so then I was left without a choice I had to have it removed which uh, happened this past February. And after that, that was removed, I, you know, I was having to, dealing with, to deal with all the issues that come from right. having your prostate removed, which I won't go into, but, yeah. you know, we all know what they are. And uh, becoming what I felt was less of a man. And uh, so... After the surgery, which we thought went very well, but 
I was supposed to have a catheter for a week, and it turned out to be five weeks. Uh, so here I am, uh, this uh, typically macho-thinking guy walking around with a bag of urine. Yep. You know, and it's a very humbling place yep. to be, to realize that uh, you can't truly take care of yourself. Mm. You're not your own man, that you are more dependent than you've ever been in your life. And after that, I had two more bouts of uh, hospital stays for other issues, which I recently got out a week ago. And it continues to be a, a, really a, a journey into weakness mm. rather than a journey strength how do you help somebody in that journey of weakness I mean what do you tell somebody who's about to go that you've been there you're in it uh, what do they do how do they respond with respect to God well in my uh, studies of grace and training reading I think one of the most powerful uh, scriptures it was when Paul talked about the uh, thorn in his flesh that he mm. asked to be removed, and the answer was no. You, you got it. You're stuck with it. Live with it. But he went on to say that uh, that God told him that my grace is sufficient because power is perfected in weakness. And therefore, Paul said he would uh, rather boast in his affliction, mm. you know, that the strength of, of God might prevail. And in other places, he says that we hold this treasure. Mm. In earthen vessels. That's right. That the excellency might mm -hmm. be of God and not of ourselves. So in a way... Uh, and, you know, I'm grieving mm -hmm. my losses. I won't uh, joke about mm -hmm. that. And it still stays in the back of my mind. Uh, I'm going to grab that ladder again. Yeah. Or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Even as I have to tell myself, no, your life is transitioning to a point that you can't do those things. But while that is going on, you know, God has just been reaffirming to me what he can do in my weakness. Mm -hmm. And when I look back over the ways that I see myself as having been most instrumental in touching someone else's life, mm -hmm. it was whenever I exposed my vulnerability mm -hmm. and my weakness so uh, I'll, I'll continue to struggle. I, I am a struggler, and uh, I don't make apologies for that. Uh, you know, and again, Paul said we will struggle, not with physical things, although <laughs> I do that too. But our real struggle is with principalities and powers that, that come against us. And, you know, Vernon, all of us 
you know, I shared a little bit of my background. What develops in us are our shame voices. Mm. And they're always with us. I mean, like a cacophony that is yelling at us mm. and trying to keep us down, down and out, if if they can. Uh, and I recently wrote in, in my journal about my, some of my struggles, and but I used the metaphor of how, no matter how time, many times I get knocked down, mm. I always manage to get back up for the next round because I know there's a, a knockout. And God has the knockout, and uh, mm. and He has, you know, knocked our enemy out. He has knocked our shame out, but the voices are so ingrained and so loud that. Uh, how do you deal with them when the voices come and they come at the weirdest times? How do you deal with those voices? I'm pretty good at reminding myself. Uh, that to to go back to who I am, mm. if 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 the old voice or voices start telling me I'm unworthy, mm. I remind myself that God has said, "No, you're worthy." Mm. If they start telling me I'm not good enough, I remind myself that God says, "You are my righteousness." If they tell me that I'm inadequate uh i remind myself that through christ i can do all things and that i am more than enough and so i have learned to bring my not enoughness to the table when jesus was teaching to the multitudes he wanted to feed them he did not nearly have enough to Mm. feed them Five loaves and two fishes wouldn't feed a family, you know. Mm-hmm. But here Jesus says, bring me, you're not enough. Yes. And yes. so that is what I will always continue to do mm. because he's enough, and he will multiply whatever is lacking in me, whatever is not enough in me. It's not my responsibility it's only my responsibility to bring him my five loaves and two fishes Mm. my not enough and he will take that not enough and he will do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine well with that let me thank you first of all for coming on and uh, talking with us uh, for this podcast and I want to encourage uh, our listeners to say, look, wh- whatever you're not enough is, you bring that to the God who has plenty and who is enough, and he will multiply it just like Jimmy said. He'll take that. And it's okay to be human. It's okay to be weak. And it's okay to be in the mess you're in. God's not leaving you. He ain't going anywhere. He's right there in it with you. And he's going to see you through it. And it's wrong. Let me just say this. It's wrong to take on those voices of shame. They're not you, believer. You don't need that. That's the enemy messing with you. 
So those old voices messing with you. That's not the path you want to go down. Those aren't the voices you want to listen to. You want to listen to the voices of hope that Jimmy shared. The voices of grace of your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you will ever know. So I want to encourage you to start walking by faith. And your walk in this journey may simply be giving all of the lack, all of the mess, all of the trauma, all of the illness, all of those thoughts racing through your mind is giving all of those to the Lord and learning to rest in the fact that you're accepted. And most of all, as Jimmy started from the very beginning, that you are forgiven. To the one who says, well, is God judging me for my past? Absolutely not. Because all judgment fell on Jesus. There is no more judgment left. There is no more condemnation. I want you to rest in the loving hands of your Heavenly Father and start walking by faith in the journey you're in. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gment.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.